Hello, sister friends and other guests. Welcome to Her Path Radio, a program dedicated to women, helping women on their journey to find their purpose, inspire to greatness, seek transformative change, and inspire hope. We are committed to uplifting our sisters and helping them live their best life. We are excited to introduce you to influential sisters from around the world who will share their journey and inspire us all to reach our purpose while lifting our communities. But Karen, how do we do that? Great question, Lenita. By taking our life experiences and creating a safe space for others to share theirs. I am Karen, a retired chemist and entrepreneur, as well as the executive director and CEO of a nonprofit STEM or STEAM program for girls and one of the co-hosts of Her Path Radio podcast. And as the other co-host of Her Path Radio, I am a business compliance lawyer providing services for entrepreneurs with a focus on women in both the for-profit and nonprofit sectors. In short, Karen and I are dedicated to providing this forum where women empower women. Exactly. But some people still ask, is just another podcast really needed? Aren't there enough out there already? The answer to that is still no. There are so many women who are just beginning their journey and designing or redesigning their destiny. And there's always a need for platforms like this to share experiences and knowledge and to be encouraged for each other. That's right, Karen. Encouragement is the key. And we will introduce our listeners to a powerful woman who continues to help others on their journey after this quick break. Hey, Lolita. I am so excited to use this forum to highlight women business owners doing great things to support their community. Today, we are highlighting one of our favorite florists, Nell Rice, the owner of Debbie's Floral Shop. She's a mentor and advocate for minority businesses and continues to support to nonprofit organizations throughout the Chicagoland area. Yep, Karen, having known Nell for over 25 years, I can say it is still a mystery how she manages her service to the community and her business. As you know, Debbie's Floral Shop, which you can find on Facebook, is committed to offering only the finest floral arrangements and gifts, backed by service that is friendly and prompt. Because of all of their customers are important, their professional staff is dedicated to making every customer's experience a pleasant one. That is why they always go the extra mile to make every floral gift perfect. And that's why we encourage you, our listeners, to let Debbie's Floral Shop be your first choice for flowers. So remember, sister friends, if you are in need of beautiful, creative floral arrangements for any and all occasions, please contact your new sister friend, Nail Rice, by phone at 847-949-4454 via their website, www.debbiesfloralshop.com. Or if you are in the Chicagoland area, feel free to stop by the shop at 421 North Lake Street, Wonderline, Illinois. Remember, tell her or her staff you heard about them on Her Path Radio. Thanks, sister friends. Welcome back, everyone. I'm excited to introduce a phenomenal woman and speaker, our friend, Natalie Beck. Since October 2018, Natalie Beck has been president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Macon County, also known by the acronym CFMC, 
one of the eight largest community foundations by total assets and giving. Her path to getting there is one you will truly find inspiring. That's right, Lanita. Under her leadership, the CFMC has adopted a strategy, a strategic focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Natalie has also developed an award-winning Young Leaders, I love that, Young Leaders in Action <laughs> initiatives bringing together youth from all 11 high schools located in Macon County. That initiative was honored as the recipient of the 2020 Illinois Governor's Cup Award. That's fantastic, Natalie. Oh, wow. This is going to be great. She is a collaborative leader who easily balances the strategic and operational requirements of an organization and sees obstacles as opportunities for positive change. Can we all say that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I am looking forward to hearing more about Natalie's journey. So sister friends, get your notebooks ready. We are here to learn today. Absolutely, we are. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. Thank you, Lynette and Karen. I'm so happy to be here with you both. <laughs> and also, I want to share, too, before we get started on our questions, that we also met Natalie last year. We first started working on, I guess, earlier this year, right, Natalie? Yes, it's we all, working all blur. On, yes. <laughs> when we first joined Leadership Illinois, and she is a fantastic person, and she's all about making that bold move. So, Natalie, we are happy to have you today as our, one of our guest speakers. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be with you both. So let's kick it off then. Our first question, Natalie, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I can hope so. <laughs> <laughs> what was a trigger that let you know this is it, that you had identified your purpose? You know, I'm, as you mentioned, the CEO of the Community Foundation in Macon County, which is located in central Illinois. And that is a job that I worked for very hard to get. So it's one of those things you set as your goal. And I just kept doing more training, changing jobs to move to that. And then when I got here, there are some aha moments that philanthropy may not always be the key to helping individuals. And so I decided that I needed to push a little harder and figure out really what we can do. And so it's just that the aha moment is that don't accept anything. Don't accept status quo and really start digging, like what will make you feel good at the end of the day? And what will make you feel like you're accomplishing things to help other people? Oh, wow. Absolutely, Natalie. And, uh, and we can certainly identify with that. All of us have come to those junctures in our lives. Uh, but what's something that you think people seem to misunderstand about who you are and what you do? Well, of course, uh, the foundation manages $50 million in assets. So when people see us and they write grants, one of the misconceptions, I think, is that if we were able to fund everything, everything would be okay, mm. right? And yet we know, you know, one of my favorite sayings is Desmond Tutu, that we need to stop just pulling people out of the water, right? Out of the river. We need to figure out how come they're falling in. And that is something that I'm really charged with. And so... People may think, well, a million-dollar grant is going to fix that. And yet, here in Macon County, we are the home of the largest one-day food drive in the United States, and yet we still have 22% poverty, right? I still have over 10 um, food shelters and food pantries trying to get food out. So obviously, it's like a tale of two cities, right? And so how do you reconcile that? Um, why do we have coat drives every year? Right. Mm -hmm. Why do we have, a sh you know, um, shelters at night? Because we're not fixing the problem. And so 
that's one of the struggles. We all want to help and we mm -hmm. all want to give money to causes. But there is this misconception that it's money that will fix things when really it's human spirit and it's, it's uplifting leaders and it's making sure that we work with leaders in the neighborhoods that need help that look like the people in the neighborhoods. And it's being passionate about widening circles and letting everybody talk and mm -hmm. that we listen. And so that's something that as a philanthropist and in the circles, I want to create that excitement that we need to be studying why things continue to happen. And that, that I think is the biggest misconception around philanthropy. There are so many levers we can pull, but we need to understand why we're pulling them. Oh, wow. That is very powerful, Natalie. And I think you kind of hit it spot on. Throwing money at a problem is not the solution. It yeah. is a Band-Aid, irrespective of how much money it is. Right. And, and, and yes, you, you have to be authentic. Mm -hmm. in that right and so mm -hmm. we want people to come to it naturally and you and we've all had that conversation you know that you and Karen and I I mean we bonded over that and we know we're passionate about it and that's one of the reasons for this podcast is, is you can never have enough voices in the community we can never have enough people having a platform to share what sets them on fire and how they can help other people because there are so many circles where there's no one's listening right. and everyone feels shut out so if we have an authentic opportunity for people to help each other that is how we start changing and how we start helping the collective community. Right on, right on. Um, and so you sound just incredibly uh, passionate, as we all are about this, uh, and philanthropy and, the, and those that are less receiving less or in a different station in their, in their lives. Um, and how you just shared sounds so incredibly personal. What is it that people may seem to misunderstand about you personally? and what you do in addition to your organization? You know, unfortunately, I work in a field that is still predominantly non-diverse, right? Mm. So in, in the United States, there are over 700 community foundations. 44% of them are still governed by all white boards. And so, um, and we've shared this before. That has been something that um, I can't, it, it doesn't sit well on my soul. Mm -hmm. Right. So so that's something that I'm I'm very passionate about. I speak about nationally. How do we diversify boards, whether it be nonprofit boards, school boards, PTAs, anything, whatever your community looks like, it should be reflected in the boards that are covering you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, best whatever area you're in in your life right now in the community you're living in, you know, is it Latino, Hispanic, is it um, Arab, black, white, whoever is there, they should be brought together collectively. And so I push very hard for that. I advocate for that. I don't like to walk in boardrooms that have no diversity. And so that became a mission of mine in the last three years. And I'm sorry I didn't come to it sooner. You know, it's one of those things that, wow, it, I don't know. And I can't pin it on one point. Um, mm -hmm. I'm 53 years old. I was brought up in the diversity and, and desegregation. I was bused to different schools. I'm a product of public schools. Um, went to the University of Illinois. I've always been around very diverse teaching environments and, and living environments. And so I never felt I had an ounce of racism in me. And yet there is that systemic built-in, right? And mm -hmm. I didn't know until I was sitting in a Girl Scouts board meeting for, and it, it's a five-city board meeting, a very big group in Central Illinois. And I realized there was no one of color on that board. Mm -hmm. And that was my aha moment. And I resigned from that board. And I'm happy to say now they have three women of color 
on that because I said, you know, if the comment comes back to you that there is no room, right? We don't have an open position right now. And if you're sitting in that room, then I think you should look at your soul and on your spirit and say, okay, can I do something? And at that point, I said, yes, I can resign. So my seat will open immediately. And then I gave them a list of women of color that I knew in Decatur in Macon County that could join the board. So I wanted to not just step aside, but I wanted to move them forward in their cause. And that's one of the things, you know, when you're talking about what you're doing on your podcast, we're saying we are allies, all of the Mm -hmm. women, right? Because whether Mm -hmm. we're white or black, women have always faced these glass breaking opportunities. And for a woman of color, then get out of the way. They don't need me to do their their work for them. They just needed me to say, hey, put this person on the board and let her do her thing. That's all I needed to do. It's not a hand-holding situation. It's to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And so then when I realized that, I came back to my own community and I, I started looking at all the boards that we grant funding to. And we made the decision as a foundation to not fund grants that were not, or, I'm sorry, not fund nonprofits that were not diverse. And, and you know, both of you know, um, I don't know if that's the right way. And I don't, there is nothing right now. We're also thirsty for knowledge in the area of equity and inclusion. Um, and as a white leader, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, but I know I'm trying. And so I know if someone is arguing with me or they have pushback, they, are, they know that I'm doing it for what I perceive to be the right reason. Mm-hmm. That I want inclusion at that highest level in our governing bodies that are making decisions that impact every citizen here in the community I live in. And we know that story uh, from you, Natalie, and I can't wait to uh, ask you questions that elaborate more on that. I know Karen and I both are burning to ask you some more details about that because that is one of the most um, life altering for um, for a lot of people, not just for you. And so we'll talk a little bit more uh, as we dig into that. And what I can say is um, uh, just affirming for you the decisions that we make. We don't know whether they're the right decision or the wrong decision, but what's right about it is that you saw that need and you gave some methodical thought to a solution to a problem that you found, even understanding that would be ramifications afterwards. So one of the things that we find in in diversity, equity, and inclusion are individuals of a good heart, of a good nature, um, trying to do the right things without inputs from others without full thought of it. And one of the things that um, we want to talk more with you about is uh, is just that journey to getting the allies that you need. Right, Karen? That's so true. And, and again, Natalie, we are happy you're sharing your journey because, again, we met you early this year. Hearing your bold move was just, wow, people are getting it. And she's stepping out there on faith, doing the right things in her community. And that's what's so critical. And one thing you shared was that, again, on various boards, there are so many white men. There's not diversity of women. There's not diversity of people of color, of all races. We are a melting pot as a country. So one question I have for you is that, what does it mean to you to be unapologetically female in helping to change this process? Well, I think fundamentally, we all believe the same, right? So if yes. you can't relate on the on just the level of humanity and that in the circles that I'm in that that when I walk in a room uh they know I'm listening I speak to a lot of minority 
groups now um, because they need to see they have allies. And the, and, yes. the, and the difference in being an ally, and I want to stress this, and I, and I speak to this a lot, you can throw a, a DEI policy up on your website, but I'm going to come right back at you and say, who's on your board, right? And you can tell me you're hiring, your principles are changing, and I'm going to look at who's on your team. So my staff is 50% diverse now. I made the commitment. That means you might have to do something totally different. But when I look at other, and this is all around, right? If I see an agency that has no diversity, and again, if you're if you're working with people that are mentally handicapped, challenged, that might mean you have a parent on your board that has a child in the program, right? Um, we work, Rochester, New York is, is world-renowned for being one of the best places to live if you are hearing impaired, deaf. And so those organizations have people that are hearing impaired on their boards, right? So all kinds of diversity when it comes to welcoming different ways of thinking, of working through problems, of understanding the obstacles, of realizing that the choices people make often, while we can't understand them, are because they really had no options. And so bringing that to a board level will change the way you fund things. It will change the way you ask people to do things. And so for us as funders, Community Foundation, one of the things we look at in that is, are we making our grant, are grants restrictive, right? Are we making mm -hmm. nonprofits jump through a, a gazillion hoops to get a $5,000 grant? And so we really restructured that. And so really, ideally, if you're going to succeed in this work, you're going to first turn that racial lens on your own organization. And it's going to be a hard look, right? I mean, I discovered some, some really eye-opening things, and I'll share one with you. We have an award program called the Do Something Great Awards, and they honor people in our community, and they've been going for 20 years, and I did an analysis, and so in the first um, 16 years, they gave out 71 awards. Wow. Guess, guess how many people weren't white? Two. One. One. Oh. <laughs> wow. One. And, and he was an um, Asian physician. And so I looked at that and I said, how can this be, right? Because in our community, very strong group of black leaders, very strong in the churches. We know the churches are one of the best places to look for successful philanthropy and people that are out there changing and, and volunteering. And so, you know, in the last three years, we've, we've increased that, right? So now we're at 30% people of color in our awards, but, but no one had ever noticed that. So you have to look at what you're doing and you have, it has to be in everything you do. So equity. So yes, women's rights and the rights of, you know, groups that have been marginalized, whatever that is in your community, how do you list them? How do you give them a voice? And really, quite frankly, how do you just see people for who they are? Which is why I loved when we were in leadership Illinois together, because we just saw people for who they were and why, because that's we were right. in a, we were in a safe spot, a safe space to share. I think that's fantastic. And you're, uh, you're absolutely right. When you create an environment of true sharing, where there's not the blaming or the, the legacy of, or the full recognition that there is something systemic uh, that, that bars women, uh, people that are, uh, may not be as able-bodied, um, whatever the minority ilk is, whatever the cultural ilk is, when you recognize that that is really just pervasive because of how we just live in the world, then yes, you can now change that. 
you can make different decisions and it's not about a numbers game. Just in the same way, it's not throwing money at it. It cannot always be about numbers. I, I now have five, five black people on my board. In, aren't I special? Nope. No. And I love what you are doing uh, to change that. Um, and, and certainly as a female leader stepping out there, uh, I can imagine that there have been some difficult days, both behind you currently and those that will be ahead of you, taking on the charge that you have. So what roadblocks have you encountered along your journey, along your path, and how have you broken through those? I think you have to, as a woman, set aside that feeling that you have to please everyone. I think uh-huh. we all we all have that. And really, at the end of the day, you know, I tell I, I tell people when I speak to them, if you're walking around and you have, a, say, a post-it on your forehead and it says, I want you to like me, you're going to fail. Because at the end of the mm. day, I tell them to imagine taking that off your forehead, putting it on the mirror in your bathroom, and that's the only person that you have to have like you, right? Mm-hmm. So as a woman, you need to live by that. No one's going to build you up. You're going to do things and no one's going to notice. So, you know, part of the things is hanging out with you two and being in these groups. <laughs> I start my PhD work in January. because Y'all <gasps> set me on fire. Oh, so exciting. Yes, because I... <laughs> newsflash. Wow. Yeah, newsflash. Yes, like I'm doing that. that at U of I. Um, and so because... So why am I doing that at 53? And this is what I would say to women. Pursue your dream, right? There's never going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm in a position, I have my dream job, but I cannot figure out how to help society in a way that I can I can understand and move and bring together the funders and the nonprofits and why things are still happening. And for me to get where I want to be, you know, before my life ends, I have to go back to school because I have to learn how to share data more. I have to learn why this is still happening. Why can't I keep poverty from growing in my community? Uh, We actually, in Macon County, is where the Howard Buffett Foundation is, right? One of the largest, the top 20, top 40 foundations in the United States. And we have 22% poverty on our streets. Again, I come back to that. How does that happen? Um, I'm so thirsty for knowledge. And so to any woman out there, whoever you are, whatever level you're at, read more. Go back to school if you can. We One of the things I'm most proud of here at the foundation is we just launched an adult scholarship program. And it is specifically for individuals that had to take a break in education for whatever reason. And normally you see all those scholarships, you're coming out of high school, mm-hmm. and then there's nothing for us ladies later, right? Or men, anybody. Yeah, true, true. And so I'm so happy for that. We have women that are TAs going to get their teaching degrees. We have nurses. We have oh. CDL drivers that are men that want to better themselves. We pay for that. We pay for union training. And to me, that is another way to be transformational in the gifts we're making. Because again, it's seeing people where they are. They maybe missed an opportunity. They still are hungry for education. They have no money. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? So that's the biggest thing we've been able to launch. And it's very successful. We're just in our first year in our second semester. And we're not leaving them. So again, how can we just be different and, and wrap around services? If you come in that and you're going to do a two-year degree, four-year degree, you can apply every year. So we can give you 2500 every semester so we don't, don't lose these people. And they, and they just start feeling like someone cares again. And so, you know, we all get catty. We're women. Sometimes that's a problem. 
try and work together. Try you and never noticed that, Natalie. Yeah, I know. And so um, set aside the ego and, again, really just help each other and know that be at peace with who you are because I really feel like we can't help other people until we know ourselves. And so we have to make that commitment to ourselves. Wow. You know, I, I'm loving what you're sharing. You're, you're really providing some great gems and some great things that, that that's going to really empower our women. But my question to you is then, what's the one experience, whether or not taking on this new role with CMFC or breaking ground in your youth initiative on your personal life that impacted you in ways you did not expect? How did you react to that? And what did you learn? You're sharing mm-hmm. so many great things. But what's that one thing that really, besides joining, the, again, seeing the lack of diversity, what else in your personal life that really inspired you? Yeah, um, I'm a cancer survivor. And so I, I approach things very differently. I've had cancer twice, multiple surgeries. So I know it, uh, everything can end in a minute, right? And I think we know that all the time. And as we age, we learn that more when we start to lose close individuals to us. I think going through the pandemic brought that even more to a forefront for me. Um, I, I think I'm afraid of not accomplishing my goals before my time is up. And so I am unapologetic in that I'm pretty abrupt in the way I approach things right now. And so I, I think I would just say that, that waking up and, and being told you have cancer changes everything pretty quickly. And so I just wish everybody would recognize they each have a role to play. We, we all come together as a community. And that, that's kind of my aha moment is that I can't do it on my own, but I also know I have to be out there a warrior every day for every cause I care about. And if I don't say anything, I really don't think anybody else is going to. And so that's, that's kind of what I landed upon. Wow. That's, um, that's amazing. Uh, and it sounds like that situation truly transformed you uh, both uh, personally and I would imagine the trajectory of your professional life as well. Can you tell us about how that trans- how it transformed you? You know, um, I, again, I think it's just those are words you never want to hear. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I was blessed with thyroid. I, and as I said, I had one, can- one surgery and then they went in and had to remove the rest of it. And so, you know, you're, you're trying to deal with everything and you're also thinking, as I think most cancer patients do. Okay. So every year I get tested. So will it be back? Right. So there's always that recheck, recheck. And um, I think it just gets you to get your priorities in order. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I also, my father passed away from cancer. And so again, yeah. you have, you have that in your mind, yeah. right. And you, and you just know everything everyone's dealing with. Well, and sorry so, for your loss. Oh, thank you. It's, you know, um, I think there are so many things, whatever you're on fire for. So, you know, I, I'm very helpful. Hopeful people are out there doing research to stop all the cancer and, and the physicians that work on those causes. And, and so, you know, it, it really is for me, it's just every day is a gift. And I, I look at things um, quite a bit differently than I did prior to that diagnosis. You know, you know and, and you're so right. You know, every day is a gift. We never know um, what God has for us. But from all that you've experienced personally and professionally, what is your best advice or suggestion for making the world a better place? You are doing so many groundbreaking things in, in Meekin County. What are some things you could recommend for others 
to continue trying to expand and enlarge what you're already doing today? What's the best advice you can give others today? I think as a woman, you're never going to know if you have it right. And I think we take no's super personally. And Mm -hmm. so if you don't get your job, like I was turned down for a job just prior to me becoming CEO here. And I didn't get it. And what a blessing that turned out to be, right? Because mm-hmm. then this job was what I really wanted. Um, and I will share with you as a woman, I wasn't able to have my own children. I um, had miscarriages and just um, issues with that, right? And you think that's one of the fundamentals of being a woman is to give life, give to ha- uh, have children. I was lucky enough to marry a man and I have three wonderful stepdaughters and I have 11 fabulous grandchildren. And I will tell you that it's God's grace, right? Because things will be delivered to you that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so in 2007, my father that I mentioned who had cancer, he had kidney cancer. Mm -hmm. And so in 2007, I was able to donate a kidney to him. And so I in fact did give life. And I was able to be that link in a way that only God knew. And so there are times as women, we have to wait and we have to let things play out. And that is hard because if you ask my staff, I'm like, what, what are we doing? What, you know, let's go, go, go. And then other times I need. (laughs) No, Karen and I don't know anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so sometimes in those quiet moments as women, I think we need to say, I've done all I can do right now. I know there will be an opportunity for this to come back around and it may take years before we see that. And those are the moments that I'm most thankful to be a woman. And then I'm most thankful to be in the position to lead because I see them and I know I'm investing in youth right now. The group you mentioned, our YLIA group, that's what I want for them. I I want them to know that people cared about them that never even knew them. Mm -hmm. That's that's amazing. Uh, every uh, word out of your mouth, I'm, I'm just loving and we're just hanging on it. And I know our listeners are uh, as well, because it's incredibly, incredibly uplifting. Um, what has encouraged you the most and keeps you encouraged? We've throughout this discussion today, you've talked a lot about what you give, how you give and the ways in which you came to give. And I love that. Um, also, though, as women uh, in particular, uh, I'm sure there are men uh, of that ilk as well, but we neglect our own uh, needs and wants and wanting to be encouraging. And what we find are those of us that are the tremendous givers sometimes are overlooked by others to give to us. We all need someone to pour into us, Natalie. Mm-hmm. So tell us what encourages you on your journey to discovering your path and living your destiny. You know, girl, you know, I have my tribe and they are my <laughs> friends and they, um, you know, I, and I, and that's one of the reasons I did leadership Illinois it, to try and make more friends. It's hard. I think sometimes the air gets thinner and we lose connections as we rise or ascend. Right. And we work a lot of hours when we're trying to be CEOs and trying to run companies. And so those connections are very important. And, um, and they're also very difficult to maintain. And again, I find it, we need best friends, we need tribes, and it's hard. And so 
that's something I would encourage people to do. And I have my group and they, they keep me going. They understand me. They're people that you really can just tell everything to, and they're going to tell you gut check. And then they're going to tell you what you need to hear, whether it's what you think you need to hear or not. <laughs> you know, you need those people in your life. Mm-hmm. I'm not big on, on hocus pocus stuff. You know, I read all the time. I'm not big on self-help stuff. I try and read it. Uh, but I really want stuff I can do and I really want interaction. And, um, and that I think is why I'm finding myself going back to school is because to be in that cohort of the, the, I'll be with 15 people in my, in my class. And, you know, to know I'm going to spend three or four years learning with them at a level that is, is committed. And these are all working professionals now to me that they're going to give me back so much and the energy and, and to know that what I'm doing every day is, is the right path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're at a level that I will, I will be able to get so much back from them. I I'm love loving that. it. Yeah, Me too. I, I love it. Because again, Lee and I also went back to school at an older age, at a more seasoned age. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, you share so many wonderful things here. And I'm hoping the audience gets a lot out of it. But I know when it, you've been through a lot of interviews because you are doing so many wonderful things. But what is the one question that you wish an interviewer would have asked you that was missed? You know, I, I do not have an answer for that one. You guys stumped <laughs> me on that. Um, I, I think the conversations are what I love about being on shows like yours and, and that there are these platforms and that in today's world, we can say every voice matters. And so I, you know, I don't have any top secret. I'm pretty open book. Um, I did. I'm sorry. I I need to research that more. I don't have, (laughs) you guys, I saw that when I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. No I'm problem. Sure, <laughs> I'm well, sure this will not be our last time interviewing you because it's been fantastic, right? As well as one thing we all like to ask too is that uh, as we're closing out this interview, what are some key takeaways that you want to make sure that our audience does not miss? What's one or two key takeaways? Believe that- in yourself. Find yourself. Find your authentic voice. Whatever you're excited about, whatever you're passionate about. You know, I know. I have um, employees of color. It's very hard for them. I try and be very aware that not only are they asked to do their job, but they're also perceived in our community as the equity officer for the whole city now, right? Because they work here. I don't know what you mean. You mean, yeah. I, don't, you mean I don't have to speak for every black yeah. woman in the world? <laughs> what? Exactly. And so that... When did that memo know, come out? I don't know. <laughs> I know. And I think that that is an issue that... Uh, for employers and employees and friends um, to be aware of that. There is a, a so much fatigue around the issue, and yet there's so much work left to be done. And so if you're listening to this, this podcast and, and you're passionate about it, find your way. But as you, as you mentioned in your questions, you know, find your support group. Get into a reading group if you can. I think that's a great way to connect. Um, I participate and the foundation participates in a lot of statewide training, uh, continue to learn really lit for me. It's listening. It's, it's trying to figure out what this thing is called life and where we all fit in. Wow. Words to live by. Absolutely. Uh, and we will definitely, uh, believe that our listeners have picked up on that. 
Um, well, as always, of course, this has been a terrific uh, discussion. Thank you so much, Natalie. We really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we've really enjoyed all that you've had to share. And as Karen pointed out, we probably will um, be reaching out to you again just to pulse where you are on the big bold moves that you're making and certainly how your um, your graduate program, your PhD program is going. We'd like to hear when you uh, put together, if you haven't already, and I'm sure you have, uh, your wonderful thesis or what you'll be gathering data around. The most important thing coming out of what you shared about that is that there will be some tangible impact on the community. You get the PhD, but the work you're going to do, and I'm excited to hear more about it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both for having me. Lenita, again, as we continue designing our destiny, inspiring others to do the same, we'll connect to everyone next time. So ladies, sister friends, Thanks for joining us. This has been fantastic. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.